0: You'll turn your in your Bibles to uh, Philippians, Colossians, chapter three. I've been flipping through my Bible, Colossians chapter three, and I'm going to read the first seven verses. Colossians chapter three, verses one through (coughs) seven. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory, Therefore, put to death your members, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Let us pray together as we look into God's word and seek his guidance. Lord Jesus, you have told us that your word is truth and that it is the means by which you sanctify your people. And so this morning I pray that by the work of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Spirit as we read the word that he has given to us, that it might work that effective sanctification from glory to glory in in our lives, that we might be people who show forth the glory of Jesus Christ. Thank you for being with us. Holy Spirit, thank you for being our teacher. I pray that you will teach me as I speak, that I may hear, that we may hear, and that we might know and understand the truth. I thank you for what you're going to do for us this morning, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I was going to say, we're not going to play football this morning. Pastor Tony always tackles the passage. (laughs) so we we'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll look at this passage <clears throat> let me just um i i had to decide where i was going with this and i decided that <clears throat> because uh uh as i studied restudied the first uh verses that it was important for us to look at this again before we moved on and i think it's important for all of us because it's uh, always good to refresh our thoughts and minds and uh, remember Paul in in writing to the uh, uh, church at Philippi uh, in that third chapter in the first verse he says finally brethren rejoice in the Lord to write the same same thing to you Mm -hmm. to me indeed is not grievous but for you it is safe well, I think for me it's safe as well. And it's not grievous. So, uh, and Peter says basically the same thing in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds, and that's part of the uh, per- purpose we're here, to have our minds stirred up in the things of Christ, uh, by way of remembrance. So our minds are stirred up by remembering things. And so we're going to look at this. And then the other reason that I decided to look at this was because as I reviewed it, I learned some new stuff. <laughs> and, and so uh, the Lord's always teaching us through his word. And I think that's that's a real great, neat part of the process of God's Word at work in our lives. Uh, I don't know about most of you, but I've been doing this for about 60 years now, 60-some years. And uh, uh, every w- once in a while I'll say, well, I never saw that before. <laughs> you know. And uh, the Word of God is so rich and full that we're learning so much. And so I'm going to just uh, spend this morning... Going through again the first four verses. And then next Sunday we'll pick up the fifth verse. I entitled this uh, passage, uh, How to Grow in Our Christian Walk. How to Grow in Our Christian Walk. And in this third chapter of the book of Colossians, there are 15 commands. There are 15 commands the first eight commands are commands to the church in general, to every person who is part of the body of Christ. And uh, 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 as as we look at them, then we see the last seven have to do with uh, individuals in their roles in the family and in the world. And so We'll be, we won't be looking at all that next week, but uh, uh, we'll be moving in that direction. And uh, one of the things that I found as I've restudied and been looking at this is the first two commands are vital because unless we grab hold of those two commands, then fulfilling all the following commands are impossible and uh so we'll we'll uh go through that and look at that and uh what what is the what is the answer to growing in our christian walk obedience obedience Uh, to jesus yeah you got obedience you see and uh um There are three kinds of obedience. There is what I call reluctant obedience. That is, I better obey God or I thought I'm gonna get in trouble. You know, so I'm gonna obey him because I don't want to get in trouble and I don't want God to hit me over the head with a two by four. So I'm I'm gonna obey God. And it's kind of reluctant. And then there's what I call reward obedience. I'm gonna be as, as obedient as I can, so I'm gonna get the biggest accolades when I go to heaven and have the brightest place to live in, you see. We're looking for rewards. And I'm gonna get all the benefits down here too. You see if I'm obedient. So that's reward obedience. I want you to notice the two kind of obediences that I have mentioned have to do with I. It's what I get out of it. What I think. What I want. But there's uh, an obedience. That scripture calls for. Which I call relational obedience. Relational obedience. And Jesus puts it. This way. By the way. Let me remind you. That God. God always. Always demanded and demands obedience. Do you remember Adam? What did God demand from him? And what was the one thing God wanted from Adam? Obedience. What did he do? Disobey. What happened? We're in a big mess, aren't we? Because of Adam's disobedience. And when God instituted the Mosaic Law... What did he want when he instituted the Mosaic Law? Obedience. Notice, notice what it says in Leviticus chapter 18, verses 4 and 5. It says, "Ye shall do my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord, your God. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments." Which if a man do, he will live in them. I am the Lord. I want you to notice in those verses that God demands obedience because of who he is. And the word he speaks comes out of who he is. And he uses the phrase there twice. I am the Lord. And so all we have here in God's word. And especially as we look at this uh, chapter in Colossians. Is God's word. And he wants us to obey it. Now how did the children of Israel make out? Not too good did they? They say, oh, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to follow. We got it all down pat. Don't worry about it. And bang, everything went every direction. And I think it's important to realize that they, it was impossible for them to obey. In Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 4, Moses, after he's like it, it, he's just kind of finishing his swan song before God takes him up to heaven, and he gives them all the directions and he tells them everything that they have to do, and then he says this. He says, "Yet the Lord," in verse four of chapter twenty-nine, "Yet the Lord hath not given you a heart to perceive." Eyes to see and ears to hear unto this day. And if you, if you look at the uh, uh, third chapter of Second Corinthians, it says the veil is still over the eyes of the Jews because they're still trying to live by the law and they can't do it. They can't do it. And so uh, what about us? We're under the new covenant. How does that work for us? Can we keep? Do we have the ability to keep the commandments of God? Let me read you a promise from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, and verse 26. Ezekiel 36, 26, it says, God's promise, this is God's promise to us. He says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an Heart of flesh. I just want you to notice here that it's not what we do, but what God's doing in us, how God works in us. It's God's sovereign work in our hearts. He takes out the stony heart, He puts in the heart of flesh, and He makes us do it. And uh, He goes, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them and do them. That's obedience, you see. Well, how does that fit then into the New Testament? There are two verses that we often quote from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. It says, Wherefore, work out your own salvation... With fear and trembling. For it is God who is working within you. Both to will and to do his good pleasure. Now let me just give you uh, my literal translation of that 13th verse. By the way let me just point out. The word that's in the King James worketh. And the word do in the original are both exactly the same word. So that will help you understand where I get my translation from here. It says because the God exists, the effective operative. Did you get that? God exists as the effective operative. In the sphere of you. That is believers. The effective operation in your life is God at work. That's what he's saying. He says, also the continuing desire. God is working that continuing desire in your heart for the things of God. If you have a desire for the things of God... It's God working it in you. And if you don't have a desire for the things of God, it's because you are quenching the spirit of God and not allowing the spirit of God to work in you. And so he says, uh, uh, there's that continuing desire. And he says, also the continuing effective operation. That's the doing part, you see. God God is working in us and giving us the power and ability to effectively operate the way he wants to. So for us as believers, for us as believers, we can obey. But how do we obey? Where does our obedience come from? Well, that's the third kind of obedience I want to talk about. And that's what I call relational obedience. It's an obedience that comes out of relationship. Turn to John 14 and verse 15. John 14 and verse 15. Jesus says there if you love me the this is what is known in the Greek uh, you, you will come back to this in an, another verse but it's a third class conditional clause and it has the well well if you love me or if you don't love me but the, the literal translation here is If you keep on loving me. There needs to be a continual love for Christ. Let me me just point out. That it is vital for us. As believers in the church. To know and understand. The doctrine and teaching of the word of God. But. If that. That. Teaching is not transformational that is if it doesn't do something in my life to make me a different person then it's just knowledge without any benefit and one of the things that God wants is he wants our relationship to him so that when we learn the word we keep loving him and loving him more, and loving him more, and the more we love him, the more we'll obey him. You see, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And he says, "If you keep on loving me, keep on keeping my commandments. Keep on keeping my commandments." Notice in that statement of Jesus Christ that obedience and love are tied together. And when we continue in love, it prevents disobedience. You see? And I can be disobedient because I'm not in love. And uh, you can and I'll, I'll say, I, I want to say this very carefully here because I think the more we know of the truth of the word of God, the better it is. And we should be studying and I'm so glad that Pastor Tony is doing all of this stuff. But its, it's value is in how it reveals Christ to us and how we are transformed and loved. And the danger is that we can become like the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 3. We can have be sound doctrinally. We got it all down pat. We're fighting for all the right things, but we lose our love for Christ. And it's that love for Christ that makes us ultimately obedient. And so if you go down to the 21st verse in that chapter, he says... He that hath my commandments and keepeth. That word keepeth, by the way, can be translated obey and is obeying and is obeying them. He it is that loves me. And by the way, that word he in the original is a what they call an emphatic pronoun. And you could translate it. This one is the one that loves me. The one, the one that keeps on keeping my commandments. This is the one that loves me. In other words, the demonstration of the fact that I love God is my obedience to him. And that's vital and important. So that we as God's children uh, uh, are to love him. And, and then it says, He that loveth me shall be loved by my father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. And that word manifest again is a very interesting word in the original. It means to let oneself be intimately known and understood. To let oneself be intimately known and understood. That's if we are obedient and loving God we are going to learn to know him intimately and understand him. Not perfectly. <laughs> we'll work. We'll get that when we get up in, in heaven. But you see, we, we, all, all of this is tied together. And then in that 23rd verse, he goes on and says, Jesus answered and said unto them, If a man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him. And he will come unto him and make our abode or our dwelling place with him. So God's going to come to us. And one of the great truths that we have as believers and that are important to us is the fact that when we came to know Christ, his love was shed abroad in our hearts. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. It says. And hope maketh us not ashamed. Because the love of God is shed abroad. In our hearts. Through the Holy Spirit. Which is given unto us. You know. Notice the dual connection there. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. The work is done through the Holy Spirit. And he indwells us. So we have that working. The fruit of the spirit is what? What's the first one? Love. Love. So he works the love of Christ in our heart. And so we as we as God's people have everything we need to obey God. And I think it's important for us. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.24. He says. Faithful is he who called you. Who will also do it. God works in us. Both to will and to do his good pleasure. And so. This is the great hope we have as believers. And as I abide in him. And live in him. And walk in him. Then I will obey him. I will obey him. And uh, this is very important. So. That's kind of just a background, and I want to look at the first two commandments now. The first commandment I call finding fellowship with Christ, and we find that in verse 1. It says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. First of all, he talks about our position. Our position. He says. If then. You were raised with Christ. Now. uh, Again remember I talked about conditional clauses a few moments ago. This is what is known as a first class conditional clause. And any first class conditional clause. Always demands a positive response. So. So. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, which you have. You see, it's a fact. That's your position. You have been raised with Christ. In other words, he says, because you're living in the resurrection life now. Right now. Isn't that wonderful? Have you ever thought of that with that? We're living in the resurrection life of Christ right now. Right now. It's our life right now. We are living in that resurrection life. And the little word there, with, actually is better translated together with. We were raised together with Christ. In other words, back 2,000 years ago, when Christ was raised from the dead, we were raised together with him. When you were born again is not a big issue because that was all it, it tied in eternity past. And so when, you were, when Christ was raised, your resurrection life was there and you were tied together with him. And, and that's our position, you see. Isn't that great? I I don't know how God works all of this, but one thing I do know He works it. Because He has that effective working power. See, and He can do whatever He desires. So we are we are living we are living in the resurrection life. That's 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 a great thing. Now let me just say. If you're here today and you're not a believer. Everything else that I, I say has absolutely no meaning to you. Because he's only talking to people who are living in the resurrection life. It says because you have been raised together with Christ. And the way you can know and understand all of this truth. Is by coming to Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's, that's the only way you get it. That's the only way you understand it. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you can't know it. You can't understand it. And so you have to recognize your sinfulness. You have to recognize the sacrifice that Christ made for you on the cross. You have to admit your sin. and You have to come before him and bow before him and accept his death and resurrection on your behalf. And so what we're talking about here is and everything that follows is based on our position in Christ and who we are in Jesus Christ the second thing we see here in this verse is what I call our posture our posture it says uh, uh, here seek those things which are above that's the command that's the command and let me Let me just say this. And I think it's vital and important. It is not an option. It's a command. And a command is something we must obey. I must obey. And you must obey. When God gives a command. He expects what? Obedience. Obedience. So. The command is. Continue seeking the place above continue seeking the place above and I want you to notice it's not a one time effort it's a continual effort continue seeking continue seeking keep seeking never back down keep seeking the things above and I think that's vital and important for us to get hold of so That should be our posture. As believers. We should be constantly continually. Seeking those things that are above. And what are we seeking? What is our purpose? What is our purpose? He says. Where the Christ. Exists. Where the Christ. Exists. I want you to notice. Here. And I think it's important. He says. He doesn't say the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say. Jesus Christ. He just says the Christ. Now I want you to just. Hang that on your little. Memory hook there for a minute. Because you'll see. The the importance of this. As we move on here. (coughs) So. We are to be seeking. Where. Christ is. Where Christ is. And then he goes on. In the rest of the verse. And explains to us. Where Christ is. Notice. First of all he starts off. By talking about Christ's promotion. Where Christ. Is sitting. If you look at. uh, The old King James. It says he sitteth. The NASB says he is seated and uh, the verb here now let me get a little bit technical I mean uh, give you a little Greek grammar here uh, uh, the word uh, sitteth or seated is in what they call the present passive middle participle now isn't, isn't that you got that actually actually the fact that it's present means that that's where he is all the time right now and the uh, uh, two things there the the passive and middle they're they're the things I want to focus on for a minute because the passive means something that's done to the person who's Receiving the action without his assistance. So the doer of the action, which in this case is God, is doing everything without Christ's assistance. You say, how does that work? How did Christ go to heaven? What, what, did the, what was the last thing the disciples saw when he went to heaven? Yeah. They saw his glorified body going up into heaven. And when Christ went to heaven and returned, he did not return like he came. Did you get that? He came as God. And then he was manifest in the flesh. And he became the God man. And this is a vital part of our learning and doctrine and theology as Christians. He came as The God man, fully God, fully man. Now, he went back to heaven, fully God and fully man. That's why the passive is important. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, Because of all he did, he took upon him the form of a servant. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It says, therefore, for that reason, God has highly exalted him. As the one who came, became a man, and will eternally be seen as a man, the God man. That will never cease. I was, I was interested. As I studied. In the book of Revelation. Beginning in chapter 5. Going to the end. Christ is referred to. 22 times. As the lamb. That's the title he's given. And what does the lamb. Prefigure. It, prefigure, it prefigures the God-man who gave his life for us. You see, And so he's seen as the, the Lamb. The Lamb with wrath. The Lamb who sits on the throne with God. The Lamb who gave himself for us. See, he is, he is the Lamb forever. He sits at the right hand of God as the Lamb that was slain. And that's wonderful. Because he could not have gone back to heaven. And said okay here I am. I'm taking my place back. Because he came back as something. Totally new and different. For the purpose. So he could become our mediator. And he ever lives. To make intercession for us. You see? And so he sits there and God says, okay, I'm going to take you and seat you at my right hand. And then when we get to the middle voice, Jesus says, yes, I will take that position and I will sit here as the intercessor for my people. And to us, to us, that should be a great blessing that the one who is God-man ever sits up there interceding on our behalf. Have you ever thought of it? He who is king of kings and lord of lords is the God-man. And yet, he rules over all because of the promotion that God gave him. He was given a place Of preference. He was given a place of preference. That's what it means when it says he was sat down at the right hand of God. The right hand is always seen as the place of preference. So he was given preference by God and seated by God at the right hand, and he took that seat on our behalf for us. Isn't that wonderful? He became a man remained God, went back to heaven, remained a man and God so he could work for us you know Job asked a, a, a great question he said who can, who can hold our hand in God's hand, who's got that ability and it was a rhetorical question which said nobody but we do we do, we have the God man Jesus Christ Who is sitting there. Who has been seated. And is sitting. And continually sits. For us. As the people of God. And. uh, um, It's interesting. If you read that. uh, 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. Where it says he was wounded. For our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. In the 12th verse. It says. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. God says, everything he's done, because of everything he's done, I will divide him a portion with the great. He will sit with the greatest at the right hand of God. And it seems to me, it seems to me, that uh, this is one of the great truths for us, then as believers, because Christ is seated at the right hand of God in his deity humanity and he's always making intercession for us what we are charged to do here and the command we are given is to find out more as much as we can about that get up there get in there learn all you can About him. And the more you learn about him. And his glory and majesty. The more you will be changed into his likeness. So you can see. You can see. Why this first command. Of fixing our focus on Jesus Christ. Is vital. Because that's where we have our Christian growth. And our Christian walk. And so. Uh we we must be always very careful to keep on seeking the things where Christ is seated at the right hand of God so we find fellowship with Christ that's the first command second command here is fix your focus properly fix your focus properly we see this in verses 2 through 4 And first he talks about our mindset notice in verse 2 he says set your minds on things above not on things on the earth or literally translated continue having a mindset on the higher place not on the earth where are, where is my focus you see does that mean that I can't go to work anymore I just sit back and wait for God no 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 I live in my life I do everything I need in, in my life but what I'm doing in this world as I'm living with husband and wife and all of this is not as vital as the things of heaven and they are secondary why because they're going to all be gone. What's the big deal? You know, I I worked twenty four years, so I, I can buy myself a Rolls Royce. And the thing rusts. You know. Uh, we we need to work. We need to labor. Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, says, Study to be quiet and do your own business and work with your own hands as God has directed you. Paul said, I never asked anybody for money. I worked. I worked day and night so I could preach the gospel. And working is something that is part of our life and we work to maintain, but Part of the problem that we deal with is we work to possess, not to maintain. See, uh, I have a lovely three-bedroom home now, but I got my eye on a seven-bedroom home with, you know, four baths. And you see, we 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 are working for things. That are going to perish, and so when he says, "Don't focus on those things," it's not wrong to have them. You need them. That's what life's all about. It's nice to have a nice garden, right, Bob? Yeah, yeah. and 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 uh, uh, I go out in my backyard and pick strawberries, and that's nice. You know, it's nice to have those things. It's nice to to work with and uh, eggs from the chickens. I mean. We're all blessed by that here. And uh, uh, I I think that those things are necessities of life. And we need to realize we have to work and we have to do that. But while we're doing that, we should have our attention focused above. That's what he's saying. I'm going to leave all of these things behind. I've got a head start of most of you. Uh, I'm closer to leaving them behind than you are, I think. And uh, 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 we, we, we have to realize that uh, 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 our focus should be on the eternal things, the things that are going to be forever and ever and ever. And that's what he's saying here. He said, Set your mind on the eternal, not on the temporal set your mind on the eternal not on the temporal nothing wrong with the temporal but don't set your mind don't fall in love with it you know uh, I remember growing up and a uh, young fellow li- lived next door he he bought himself a, a car and oh, this car was his life I mean he he would wash it twice a day just to keep it clean you know uh, and his whole life was focused on that car. W- what is my life focused on? What is my life focused on? Is focused on heaven? You see, we have, to, we have to have what I call the pilgrim mentality. We are looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. So that, that's uh, our mindset. Then in verses 3 and 4 he talks about our motive talks about our motive first he deals with the present reality in verse 3 and let me give you my translation of that verse because you have died also the life of yours has been and continues to be concealed together with Christ in the sphere of God Want me to read that again? (laughs) It says. Because you have died. Also. The life of yours. Has been. And continues to be. Concealed. Together. With Christ. In God. Now. That's a tremendous statement. When you. Look at it. He's talking about. Our position. If you just look back in chapter 2. In verse 11 and 12. He talks about these things. I'm back in Colossians. By the way. It says in him. You were also circumcised. That, the word circumcised. There has the idea. of You were cut off. With a cutting made without hands by the putting off of the body of sins of the flesh by the cutting off of Christ. In other words what he's saying is that we were cut off from our sins because Christ's life was cut off and he died. But notice he says and he ties our whole thing back together with Christ. He says, buried with him in baptism. In other words, we died with him and we were buried with him, as you see in Romans six, in which you also were raised together with him through faith in the working of God who raised up Jesus Christ. In other words, we we our faith is in the fact that we Died with Christ. We were raised together with Christ. And if God could do it for Christ. He can sure do it for us. Can't he? It's a wonderful thing. He says you just trust. God's ability. Because you've seen him at work. You know that's one thing about. The the, uh, people. The children of Israel. They saw God at work. And they still didn't believe he could do it. They saw what he did to Pharaoh. But they didn't believe he could take him across the Red Sea. You see. And we should be able to say. God did this for me. Therefore. For Christ I mean. Therefore. I know he can do it for me. He can do it for me. Isn't that wonderful. That's where we are. And that's. That's the present reality. Our state. Our state. Is that we have been united with Christ in his death and resurrection. But notice, he not only talks about our state here, he talks about our security. He talks about our security. He says, Because we are concealed together with Christ in the sphere of God. I like what A.T. Robinson, the Greek scholar, said. He said, this is a combination which no hellish burglar can open. This is a combination which no hellish burger, burglar can open. Isn't it wonderful to realize that we have been hidden with Christ in God? Can Satan do anything to God? Can the forces of hell do anything? Are we secure in Christ? In God? See that's that's the great. That's the great truth here. That's the great truth. We are secure. Because we are in Christ. In that beautiful passage. In, in Romans chapter 8. Uh, um, near the end of the chapter. Verse 33 says. Who shall lay anything to. God's elect. Or God's chosen. He says, it is God that justifies. In other words, who's going to argue with God? It's God's the one that says, you're okay. So nobody can lay any charges against you. That's security, you see. And he says, who is he that condemneth? He said, it is Christ that died. So nobody condemn you can condemn you because Christ died for you. That's security. That's security. And if you're not in Christ, you don't have that security. And he says that I like the way he put it. He says, Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, this is what we've been looking at, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. And he says, no. No way. Nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. He says, and all these things, and let me give you a little translation here. We are super conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us. That's security. That's security. We are super conquerors through Jesus Christ. Notice Paul didn't say, you've got it now, you can go, boys, you can do it. No, he said, through Jesus Christ, we're super conquerors. Living in the sphere of Christ. We're going to be talking about that in prayer meeting, by the way. The blessings and benefits of being in Christ. From Ephesians chapter 1. So, so we have a security. And that is a reality. It's real. If you're in Christ, it's real. You're secure. Not because... Of a profession you made. Not because you were baptized. It's because. God is. Securing us and we're hidden with Christ in God. See that's where our security. As believers are. All of these. Things are good. To make our profession of faith. To. Be baptized as a confession of our faith. But it's. Our security is in. What God is doing, not what we're doing, and it's uh, uh, very important. The second thing, and that was the present reality, and the the second thing is, and I'll go through this. Try to go through this quickly because our time's running out. The prospects for the future. The prospects for the future. We find that in verse four. In verse four, he says. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And I want you to notice, first of all, he starts off with our togetherness with Christ. And our togetherness with Christ uh, is uh, something that is individual and corporate. Did you get that? He says here, Notice what he says. The Christ. The life. Of us. But Christ. Can't be the life of us. As a body. Until he's the life of us. As individuals. You see. He's. He. We must each individually be living in the life of Christ. So that we can live corporately as a body in the life of Christ. And that's why Pastor Tony is always talking about the purity of the church. Because you can't have people in the church who are not part of Christ. Who are not, do not have the life of Christ in them and this is vital this is vital for the protection of the body of Christ you see and so we have here that we are all the part of Christ and uh, uh, you remember Paul in Galatians 2:20. he says I am crucified with Christ nevertheless I am living yet not I but Christ liveth in me, and the life that I am now living, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me just point out something in this verse that uh, uh, you wouldn't know unless you were going back into the original. The word nevertheless, and the w- where he says, nevertheless I live, and then when he says, but Christ liveth in me, the word but, and the word nevertheless are exactly the same word in the original and if you go on and he says and the life that's exactly the same word again it's it's what they call an adversative in 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 the greek and it means something that is contrary different so you could translate it this way i have being and remain crucified with Christ. By the way, the r- reason I say I have been and remain is it's the verb tense that indicates that. He says with Christ, to the contrary, I am alive. Not no more I. To the contrary, Christ lives in the sphere of me. To the contrary, <laughs> you see, he's he, he's pushing Pushing the pedal here. As we would say. To the contrary. That life I right now live. The word now there. Is is an emphatic pronoun. So it should be translated. Right now. Right now. The life I'm living. Right now. I live in the sphere of the flesh. I live in the sphere of the conviction. Belonging to the Son of God. Of God who was loving me and also delivered me. And see, he says, I'm living in the whole conviction of who Christ is as the Son of God. That's what it's all about. I'm living in that conviction. I am convinced through the Spirit, through the Word, through the work of God that Christ is. God manifest in the flesh. And you see. That's why. That's why I live in Christ. Because I am convinced. Of who he is. And I believe. Who he is. And who he is. Makes me what I am. And it's important for us. To know that. And Then very quickly. He Uh, what I call the timing declared. He said, whensoever Christ has been made manifest. We don't know when Christ is coming back. We don't know. He said, whenever it's going to happen. Whenever. And then the the next thing he deals with is what I call the transformation revealed. He said, at that time, whenever that time is going to be, also you shall be shown openly together with him in the sphere of glory. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that. You know, the apostle John in his epistle says in 1 John 3, 2, he says, beloved, now, that's another one of those emphatic pronouns. Beloved, right now, dearly loved ones, right now, we are the sons of God. You don't have to wait till you die. You don't have to wait till you get better. You're a son of God right now. That's that's who you are. He said, beloved, right now, you are a, the sons of God and it doth not yet appear. And that word... Appear means to make something apparent so you can see it and understand it. He says, it does not appear what we shall be. We don't, can you, can, can, I don't know, maybe you can, but I, I can't fix in my mind what it's going to be like to be perfect in heaven and not have any of the feelings that I have or, I have no idea. I have no idea what it really means to be like Christ. It's not apparent. It's not apparent. But uh, he says, we, we don't know what we're going to be, but we know this. We know this. Whensoever he shall appear, we will be like him. Why or how? Because we'll see him as he is. Oh, boy. That's going to be great, isn't it? (laughs) Someday, someday we're going to see him and become like him because we'll see him as he is. I'm looking forward to that. I don't know about you, but I am. And then in the next verse, John tells us how we should fix our focus properly and motivates us to fix our focus on things above. Notice what he says. Every man that hath this hope, that is the end of becoming like Christ, in him purifieth, that word is in the continuous tense, continues purifying himself even as he is pure. And in that passage uh, that was read from Philippians, Paul says, I, I haven't made it yet. I haven't made it yet. But what I'm doing is I'm pressing for the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's what I'm pressing for, that's where I'm headed. That's where I'm headed. And what a wonderful thing, isn't it? This is our hope. So we, we find, and I took this time for us to look at this, because everything that follows depends on our obedience to those first two commands. You will never be the right kind of husband unless you're seeking Christ above Unless you're living with heavenly focus. You will never clean up the sin in your life. Unless you're seeking Christ above. and le- see, So these two commands are vital. And vital. And as, as we look next week at the third command. Which I call fleeing former sins. Uh, we're going to see. You can't flee former sins. Unless you're obeying the first two commandments. And so they are vital for us in our Christian life and I pray that by the grace of God those of us who are his children may through the inspiration and work of the Holy Spirit be people who are pressing on pressing on to become Christ like and all that we're doing in our church is motivating us into that one direction Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that what we could not do, what no man could do for himself, you have done for us in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the security we have being in you and you in us and the great hope. Thank you for having us die with Christ and being raised together, and living in his resurrection life. And I pray that by the grace of God, each one of us might day by day, week by week, hour by hour, grow in the likeness of Christ. To the glory of his name we pray. Amen.